Hello, and welcome once again to the Oklahoma Atheists Godcast. It's January 2014, and we're back. We are still a thing. The show is still going. I'm Damien, your host. I'm here with Chaz, and today we are going to have an activist who's been working for church-state separation in Oklahoma for as long as anyone can remember. His name is Bruce Prescott. He's the executive director of Mainstream Oklahoma Baptists. He's a pastor, he's um, an activist, and just an all-around great guy and an old friend of mine. And he is the lead plaintiff in a case called Prescott vs. Oklahoma Capital Preservation Commission, which is uh, the ACLU's case against the Oklahoma Ten Commandments Monument. So what we have here is a Baptist preacher who is fighting for church-state separation in Oklahoma. I know it's going to blow some of your minds. Uh, Enjoy the show. All right, so Bruce Prescott, you are the lead plaintiff in the much-discussed case of Prescott versus Oklahoma Capital Preservation Commission. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and why you are in it? Well, that has a reference to the Ten Commandments monument at the state capitol in Oklahoma. Much discussed, but actually I think the discussion most recently has been uh, about uh, people uh, that are not plaintiffs, but people that want to put some more monuments up at the state capitol. I think they've kind of opened Pandora's box. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're excited about the... Yeah, I've been coming up with all sorts of new ideas of things I would like to have placed up at the Capitol. Uh, well, if you've got the money and uh, you can figure out how to make a case, I guess, for the Capital Preservation Society, uh, it looks like you'll have to stand in line. Yeah, <laughs> well, behind the, the Satanists and the Hindus at this point. Uh, yeah, and we'll see how many more people get get involved in that. seems to me we have a lot of Native Americans in this state that uh, would have a fair claim to that, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, maybe we can get a statue of that guy with the, uh, what's that, the arrow, the the, the, the rain arrow that you shoot up yeah. into the air? As yeah, a yeah, Co- we could get Coco Pelli. Oh, Coco, well, yeah, any fertility deity is cool with me. Let's uh-huh. get some of those up there. <laughs> it's a beautiful diversity of... Native American traditions. Yeah, lots of. Yeah, stuff. you could just fill that. Uh, you could <laughs> fill that place could right up. <laughs> fill the whole place just with Native American religion. And get one of those little uh, altars that they used to do the human sacrifices on. Oh. Uh, down. Well, that's a little bit south of here, but. You know. Yeah, those human sacrifices are really looking for some victims. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling that that uh, the legislators are looking for some victims right now. They seem pretty peeved. Uh. Well. Yeah. I think that. Uh, uh, things have turned a different direction than what they'd expected. <laughs> so it seems. What, well, what do you think they they did expect? I mean, they had to know that eventually uh, ACLU or somebody like that would come along and and fight this. Why did they? What what were they thinking? Well, you know, I think that they there was a lot of thought that went into what they were trying to do with this uh, monument at the state capitol because they they did a lot of things differently than what had happened in Haskell County. But, uh, you know, while they were trying to do all these things, trying to figure out how they could put a monument up, they neglected, uh, I think, primarily uh, the state constitution. Uh, You know, one of the things that uh, I think has been overlooked by most of the people that are dealing with this is that they think that this case is going to be decided on the First Amendment of the Constitution, which would be a case that uh, you could make a case on that. But... uh, the ACLU here in Oklahoma, I think, wisely has decided that they're going to try to go with the 
state constitution, which is very strong, as you know, Damien. I think I saw on Facebook where you put up uh, that uh, Article 2, Subsection 5, or it's Article 5, Subsection 2, one of those, where it talks about uh, it's it's similar to the old blame language that was uh, oh, yeah. around at the time of the Constitution was passed. Uh, it's very strong. It's much stronger and more detailed in what it uh, prohibits, uh, which is anything direct or indirect related to religion. There's no government money or no uh, support whatsoever by the government for anything religious. Let's go ahead and get that on tape. Chaz, do you mind reading that back? Sure. No public money or property shall ever be appropriated, applied, donated, or used directly or indirectly for the use, benefit, or support of any sect, church, denomination, or system of religion, or for the use, benefit, or support of any priest, preacher, minister, or other religious teacher or dignitary, or sectarian institution as such. That's pretty strong so that's language. A lot stronger that's, than just uh, we shall not establish a religion. Yeah. And that's been in the Oklahoma Constitution since 1907. It's been there the whole time. Yeah, wasn't that actually a tr um, uh, that was part of the history of, of the states becoming uh, becoming states that during this time, the turn of the century, that was uh, that was included in a lot of state constitutions, I believe. Absolutely, it was you know, the the Blaine Amendments um, tradition carried on to the states that were being formed right. uh, shortly after that. It's really strong language, as you just read there. I, I think uh, a lot of our state legislators don't realize how strong that language is, and I think when it goes to a state court and the court adjudicates it, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them than what they'd anticipated when they were initially putting that monument up. They're trying to figure out how to put a monument up that looked like the one down in Texas. I mean, they patterned it completely after that. Yeah. The fact that it's 50 years late... <laughs> A complainant, there's somebody complaining immediately about it, and then and we also have a lot of people that want to jump on the bandwagon now that want to put up the monument of their own. So uh, it's going to be a really complicated kind of situation, I think, whenever it finally does uh, go to a court. Has the um, you know this uh, our constitution is very strong. This language is very strong. Has the Congress, our state Congress, ever attempted to change the, this at all? Uh, well, you know, I think what you're going to see is maybe the legislature talking about constitutional amendments, and and, uh, and they, were, I think they made some discussion about trying to have a constitutional kind of revise the constitution. That's probably going to be one of the things that they'll deal with. I hope we could have a reasonable discussion in the media about what it is that they're trying to do. It's somewhat irritating to me when uh, so many people take for granted that uh, these legislators have a firm grasp of what the Constitution, both in the state and in the federal Constitution, has to say. Spend too much time listening to people like David Barton and not enough time listening to people like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. So, <laughs> I, in time, I suspect that if we can find a, a way to work these things through some courts, we'll get some people educated. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to have to go through this. Uh, it's going to cost the state dearly, I think, to have to wrestle with this. I'd be interested in, I mean, we've been working with you and Americans United for a long time, so we know your background. And, um, and you know that, you know that we come from the atheist community where we sort of expect by default that everybody involved is going to support church-state separation. But you come from a very different faith tradition, and, and uh, I would love for you to share your story 
of how that relates to your personal motivations for uh, stepping forward in this case. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I come from a Baptist tradition. That's This state is predominantly Baptist, and, and, and within that realm of Baptist denomination, there's a lot of different flavors, and Southern Baptists are the strongest. Southern Baptists used to be very strong advocates for strict separation of church and state. And uh, that's because the very first Baptists were uh, some of the very first people to advocate for liberty of conscience for everybody. Baptists were a persecuted minority when they began in the 1600s. Uh, they uh, came uh, to the United States to try to find, they went the United States, they came to America to try to find religious freedom, and, and they were consistent enough to expect that they would extend that same freedom, that liberty of conscience, to everyone else, not just to have it for themselves. Roger Williams, the first Baptist minister to come and, uh, to, to the colonies, uh, founded Rhode Island, and that was the very first uh, charter. The Charter of Rhode Island is the first charter that granted religious liberty to every citizen. And uh, Baptists were instrumental in saying that we had the First Amendment to the Constitution. They wouldn't ratify the Constitution of the United States unless it guaranteed liberty of conscience. And that's what James Madison, the first uh, First Amendment initially was an amendment that uh, was for an advocacy of liberty of conscience. They just kind of spelled it out mm -hmm. uh, when they made the First Amendment. So the history of Baptists has been very strong in regard to separation of religion and government. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the very metaphor itself begins with Roger Williams. He talked about the uh, uh, the kind of the hall, the wall, or the hedge between the world and the church. Uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, I'm not sure, it actually read Roger Williams's metaphor, but he uh, he made that very strong in his letter to the Danbury Baptists because he wrote to the Danbury Baptists knowing that they were in favor of separation of church and state, and uh, the Supreme Court has recognized that. Uh, in times past, uh, but we still have a lot of problems trying to find a way to get people to recognize that the Supreme Court knew what they were talking about when they talked about what the intentions were for the First Amendment. It's uh, it's kind of crazy to think that the that the phrase separation of church and state was coined in an attempt to placate Baptists, you know, let them know that they were going to be safe from government interference in religious matters. Well, yeah, it was very. Uh, big concern to them. The Baptists in Connecticut are worried about what's going to happen in the uh, state in which they reside because the federal constitution uh, 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 secured separation of church and state, uh, the uh, separation of religion and government, but uh, their state, the colony's constitution, did not. It took all the way to 1833 for the states to finally have the uh, disestablishment uh, fully implemented in all the state constitutions. The last one was Massachusetts, which was the very, uh, began as a theocracy, which they booted Roger Williams out. As a matter of fact, they did their best to send him back to England so Archbishop William Laud could execute him. <laughs> so that was why he had to go to Rhode Island and, and began the colony there and, and granted religious liberty to everyone. So. Uh, that story is not well known. It ought to be well known in Baptist life, but it's uh, been overshadowed by people who created a mythology uh, about uh, the founding of the government as a uh, United States as a Christian nation. It never was. 
uh, even the, the Treaty of Tripoli, uh, which was uh, ratified in the time of uh, George Washington, uh, said that the United States is not a Christian nation, uh, and that there was no concern for uh, for any uh, one that any kind of any country that uh, made a treaty with the United States to think that we were a Christian nation. Uh, that gets overlooked as, as well. So what happened? I grew up in the Baptist Church, and um, there were no traces of that Roger Williams tradition uh, when I was uh, baptized in the mid '80s and through throughout my uh, my uh, middle school and high school. Um, tutelage there, there was no mention of uh, church and state as being the sort of thing that we should work to keep separate. Well, when I when I see that you're talking about the mid '80s, that tells me immediately that uh, you have grown up entirely uh, under the domination in Southern Baptist life of fundamentalism. Uh, now, there's been a strong fundamentalist strain in Baptist life. Uh, all the way from the beginning of the fundamentalist uh, movement in the 1920s. But uh, by and large, Baptists were much more moderate, particularly on separation of church and state issues. And the original fundamentalists in Baptist life were very rigid and very strong separationists. But uh, what happened was in about 1975, I think it was, maybe 70, somewhere in the mid-70s, uh, uh, Bob Jones University in South Carolina lost its tax-exempt status because they prohibited interracial dating and marriage on their campus. And uh, that uh, Supreme Court said that uh, you could not be a charitable institution if you were discriminating against people on the basis of race. And mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that decision enraged many uh, megachurch preachers and many TV preachers, and they began to organize politically. And as they began to organize politically, out the window went separation of church and state because they are very active and involved now in politics. Uh, in the pulpit, uh, well, many times they would say that they, you know, they would try to find a way to dance around it. Now they just completely say that there never was any separation of church and state. So there was a a concerted political movement within Baptist life, and it was actually broader than just Baptist, started in 1979. The Southern Baptist Convention, those fundamentalists took over the Southern Baptist Convention, but at the same time, you know that 1979 was the beginning of the moral majority with Jerry Falwell, right. an independent Baptist, who became a Southern Baptist in 1989 after the fundamentalists of the Southern Baptist Convention had completely taken over the Southern Baptist Convention. You know that the Southern Baptist Convention uh, has been very active in politics. Richard Land, with the what's called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, went up to Washington, D.C. to try to find a way to influence politics and was actually very influential uh, during his tenure. We have a new leadership that's in that position right now, but Baptists have been very involved uh, politically in secular politics since 1980. Who would you say are the more prominent uh, leaders in the Baptist movement today? Uh, well, it's going to be uh, the person that just took over at uh, uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, I've his first name. His last name is Moore. Okay. Uh, and uh, then it's going to be the megachurch preachers. Now, a lot of those preachers uh, are aging. 
uh, and uh, not as involved as what they used to be. Uh, the most prominent one that's not in the uh, aging category and about to retire category would be the president of Southern Seminary, Al Mohler. And uh, you'll recognize him on TV a lot of times. Uh, but in, by and large, it's not so much uh, a movement of TV preachers now as much as it is a movement within Baptist churches themselves led by uh, denominational executives, other uh, people that are organizing within churches to try to find a way to influence politics. It's a grassroots movement. Now, key leaders that you could recognize nationally, Ted Cruz came out of Second Baptist Church down in in Houston, he's part of that fundamentalist movement down there. Steve Stockland, who's high in the news today because he's getting ready to run against Cornyn uh, for, and, and the Senate seat. He used to be my uh, U.S. representative when I lived down in Houston. Steve Stockland was very active, very involved in the fundamentalist takeover movement. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot of the, you know, the last election, 24, uh, 2012, uh, there are more Southern Baptists now in Congress than there ever have been any other time in history, and a whole lot of them are the Tea Party candidates. Mm. Fantastic. So what's the, um, I, I assume that there are other branches of the, uh, the Baptist um, denomination that didn't go that way, that didn't become radicalized like the Southern Baptist Convention did in the late 70s. They're, you know, they're more moderate and more progressive movements within Southern Baptist life uh, split off uh, in the uh, late 80s and the early 1990s. In the late 80s, you'll have uh, uh, a group of Baptists uh, that uh, split off and uh, you'll have in the 1990s, a cooperative Baptist fellowship began. Uh, most people would recognize Jimmy Carter, who was a Southern Baptist when he was president, but he was part of the movement that has left. There are, there are actually about 16 million Baptists in the United States who are not Southern Baptist, if you put all those uh, other groups of Baptists together. Uh, but Southern Baptists are the most uh, predominant, largest uh, non-Catholic non denomination uh, in the United States. Uh, so, you know, there are those that are trying to uphold uh, the heritage and tradition, and uh, they're represented in Washington, D.C. by Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty. It was started in 1947 and actually was the founding organization for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Woohoo! Uh, and that was why I have been involved with Americans United. It's a sister organization that uh, we founded that uh, we recognized that more than Baptists needed to be involved in the struggle to preserve the First Amendment. And then us atheists just took over. <laughs> uh, well, but that was from the very beginning, it's a movement that respects religious liberty for everybody. So yeah. when, when it's for everybody, it's for people of faith and people of no faith. Uh, and that's what uh, separation of church and state is. It's uh, the right for people to uh, to freedom to worship or not worship according to the dictates of their own conscience. Uh, that's been the Baptist position from the very beginning. Uh, as a matter of fact, the very first Baptist, the earliest Anabaptist uh, that you could find on the continent uh, of Europe back in the 1500s, a guy named Balthazar Hubmeyer said, 
You know, if all a person wants to do is to forsake God, let him. Uh, it, it's it's not something that should be persecuted and punished by the church. Of course, he was uh, he was burned at the stake, and his wife was. <laughs> oh well, I'm, I'm glad he stood up for his principles. <laughs> oh, oh, that I, seems I, terrible. I have a question about our local AU group. Um, I noticed that there are some religious people in with Americans United, the local chapter, but they're. They're, they're an older group of people, and the young people who show up at AU events seem to be uh, non-theists. Yeah. Have you noticed this too? When you first were, when you first started AU, was it the same way, or has have the demographies changed? Demographics changed. Well, no, actually, that's pretty much the accurate de- demographic, and and I frankly I attribute that to the fundamentalists. Uh, because, you know, Damien said he's grown up his entire life and Southern Baptists have not been in favor of separation of church and state. They've been opposed to it yeah. uh, and working uh, at odds with it. So you've got an entire generation that never knew the history and the heritage of Baptists, which is, you know, frankly, that's kind of the major thrust of what did I have done in the last 15 years in Oklahoma is to try to tell that story and remind people that Baptists were the ones that were uh, instrumental in, in seeing that we had the First Amendment. But it's uh, it's a hard sell. People <laughs> people don't believe it. You've got another group of people that have got a lot bigger megaphone than I do that are out there spouting the other side. So uh, the people that, uh, and what's happened is a lot of people like Damien grew up in Baptist churches and got fed up. One, yeah. learned. They learned a lot of the things that they were hearing were not true. They learned that the anti-intellectualism that has filled the pulpit for so long is just completely indispensable for anybody that's done any study whatsoever at a university level. You know, it should be at a high school level, but you can't get it taught uh, in high schools uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, anybody that understands, you know, evolution understands DNA. I mean, if you just did enough research and reading to understand what has happened with DNA, you would know that uh, there, there's, the evidence is overwhelming, uh, that uh, you just can't believe in a six-day creation and call that scientific. Uh, but uh, we've got people that are, you know, have been dealt with that, and they, they reject it, turn away from the church. We find the fastest-growing demographic in the United States of those that are called themselves none, no religious to, affiliation because they've turned away from the church uh it doesn't meet their needs uh, particularly intellectually well you, know, you bring up a really good point there uh, uh my generation uh a lot of us had to choose between you know believing science especially the ones that went into uh engineering and and the sciences uh we had to choose between that and what we were taught in our youth groups in our sunday schools we weren't we weren't given the what you might call the mainstream option, which is to allow that Christianity can somehow be reconciled with the findings of science. That wasn't on the table for us. So it was it was literalism. It was basically you know believe every word of it or you know th- throw in the towel. It's mostly, and that's the fundamentalist way they want it all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fortunately, back in the day when I was going to school, somebody handed me a book from J. B. Phillips. A uh, little bitty skinny book that's still in print, which was 
titled, Your God is Too Small, and that's exactly what's wrong with the fundamentalist God. He is just way too small. They have locked him up, they have put him down to a size where they can control him, and they think that they can understand everything that, about what he's got to do. If, if God is really God, he's a whole lot bigger than what they can imagine. This is the first time we've done a serious theology on the show, I think. <laughs> That's, That's all right. I've, it's I've not a staple. Programs with Damien and had had a strong atheist position on there for a while myself. Okay, I'd like to hear a bit more of of your personal position. I mean, I get that uh, you're coming from a long tradition of church-state separation, uh, but but personally, what motivates you, Bruce, to to fight against this Ten Commandments monument? I mean, I, I would assume that you're a fan of the Ten Commandments and the Bible in general, so. Uh, what? Although, yeah, I am not opposed to the Ten Commandments. If they want to post monuments, it, it'd be great for them to put it in private places. They put it in their home. They can put it on the doorpost at their house, which is really what the Bible has to say. They can put it at their church. But <laughs> public property is wrong. And it's mm -hmm. wrong because public property belongs to everybody, for people that are theists and people that are non-theists, for people of all different faiths and people of no faith. And this is a place where citizens should have uh, a neutral ground because they're they're trying to find a way to work together for the common good for people that have different convictions uh, about ultimate things but we can find ways that we can live together we can work together and make a society which is a benefit for all of us and that was what the initial intention was when this country was founded and it's more important and more uh, necessary now when you've got people of completely different faiths and not just people of different denominations within the Christian faith trying to figure out how to live together without killing each other. <laughs> uh, but you know, in, in terms of my convictions about this, I, I think it just really trivializes your faith when you put a monument up there and you think for some reason or another that this is a witness, a testimony is going to find some way that it can show people what it is that you believe. You better find a way to live it and not just post it out there in some monument. Uh, the other side of it is, is even if you believe the Ten Commandments, if you're a really strict literalist, it says, Thou shalt not make any graven images. <laughs> that is the, it's right on there. It's engraved right on there. That's the embarrassing It's right on there. It's just, you know, it sometimes just, uh, just doesn't make sense. But I think probably the thing that, that uh, bothers me the most, uh, one of those commandments is, is that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To take the name of the Lord in vain is to just take it lightly. Like, he's, he's not of any significance. His name means nothing. You can bandy it about as though it has, uh, there's no reality to what's there. And when people say, you know, as they put this monument up, that it's not a religious monument, that it's a historical monument, what they're doing is trying to say that the word God on that monument has no meaning and no significance. It's completely trivialized. Matter of fact, it's just taking the name in vain. You've got it plastered on a monument and say it doesn't mean anything. How, how, how can you violate that commandment anymore? So either they, they meant from the get-go to make this just a historical monument and not a statement of faith, in which case you're taking the Lord's name in vain, or when they argue in the courts that it's just a historical monument and not a statement of faith, they're, they're, they're bearing false witness. So it's one or the other. 
Well, you know, what this is is a legal strategy. You know, the people that put this up there are religious people. So it has religious significance for them, but when they put it on the state uh, grounds, they want to say it's not religious. Because if they say it's religious, then obviously it's an endorsement of religion and it can't stand. So if they say it's historical, they can say, well, it's just talking about, you know, the law. Uh, it's just historical, uh, doesn't have any religious significance, and they can pretend uh, in court that it doesn't have any religious significance, and then everybody that walks up there that's religious sees it as religious. And you can see that already from state legislators who say, you know, this is a faith, who is it that said it was a faith-based nation, and we have a faith-based state? I mean, uh, I think Rise can, can uh, keep the story straight, but the rest of them can't. <laughs> That's the context in which this monument is being erected, and uh, the courts will have to take that into account. So they, they're, they're bearing false witness about why it was put up, possibly, in court. Uh, they're taking the Lord's name in vain if they really are just meaning it as a uh, historical and not a, uh, a monument to faith. And, and then there's graven images all over it. There's an eagle, a flag, two tablets, and some sort of weird Illuminati eyeball thing. Yeah. Which is just creepy as hell. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's like the back of the dollar bill. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then there's some, some scroll work that's uh, suggestive of scrolls. So I guess there's, you know, six different graven images going on there. That's true. That's a, that's a Cairo. That's technically characters, not images. That's uh, Cairo. It's a Cairo. Oh, but I should talk about the Cairo. The Cairo makes it a Christian monument. Uh if, if it wasn't for the Cairo, it could have arguably been a Judeo, like a Jewish monument. Right, yeah. But the Cairo clearly says, you know, this is a Christian monument. Well, there are a number of things that would identify it as Christian. Uh, one is that the, the way that it's set out there really is pretty much a Christian ordering. There are different ways that, that the uh, commandments are ordered. They didn't actually number them. They just kind of mm. put them up. Yes. And, uh, they're, you know, different sects within Christianity number the commands differently, and uh, you can say by the way that it's placed there that it gives the appearance that uh, you're following a Reformed Protestant uh, kind of uh, sequence from the way that these commands are presented. Uh, and and that, that narrows you down even within the Christian faith uh, as you're doing it. But uh, it's... Uh, there, there are symbols on there which are pretty explicitly Christian, uh, Christian, which is the Cairo that you're there, and that's uh, that's going to be another part of, uh, I suspect, uh, the litigation process. I'm not too keen on the uh, the eagle and flag either. It's, it's sort of, um, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not just a graven image. It's also it's desacralizing in the sense that it's saying these holy commandments are part of what it means to be a patriotic American, which, you know, that disturbs me in and of itself, because I'm a patriotic American, I served in the military, and I, you know, I d don't believe in the, the Old Testament. You don't follow these Ten Commandments. Well, I don't follow all of them. I, I mean, I, I follow that one. I don't commit adultery. There's three of them, I for sure Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't murder or commit adultery or steal. Yeah. So that's well, good. And, and there's a problem even uh, for people of faith, when you try to find some way that you can elevate your, your uh, patriotism to the point of religion, uh, that's, uh, that's idolatry. Ultimately, uh, your allegiance is going to have to be uh, to, to God and not to your nation. You can't equate the two, and that's part of what's going on here as well. 
Whoa, so that's like that four. We've got four different commandments in play, possibly <laughs> violated so far. We've yeah, got the, the, ban yeah. on a, the ban on idolatry, the name in vain, the bearing false witness, and the graven images. That's I, You have to wonder if maybe they erected this on the Sabbath. <laughs> it feels like they're on a roll at this point. Well, yeah, they may well have. It wouldn't be on the Christian Sabbath. It would probably be on the Jewish Sabbath. Yeah. And maybe maybe on the uh, Muslim Sabbath. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to look into that and go back there and check the history. Um, earlier you were talking about how uh, this monument is trying to replicate the monument that was uh, erected in Texas. Um I want to read this part of your of the lawsuit. It says the textual choice is identical to that of the Ten Commandments monument placed upon the grounds of the Texas State Capitol by the federal by the uh, Fraternal Order of Eagles in 1961. One of many placed with uh, support of Hollywood film director Cecil B. DeMille as he promoted his famous 1956 film, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston and Ewell <laughs> Brenner. That that was great. Well, that's just true. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what this was was a publicity stunt for a movie. They put all these Ten Commandments monuments and scattered them all around, and one ended up down in Texas and stayed there for a long time. And when somebody made a case against that, it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you know, it's been there for years and years, and nobody complained about it. It's a long way from the Capitol. It's not by itself. There's a lot of other monuments that are around. Right. Uh, so they let that stand. And then at the same time, there was another case that was going on that was in Kentucky where they put the Ten Commandments up in the courthouse, and people challenged it immediately, and they said, take them down. Uh, so what what's happened is, is they keep trying to find ways to make it, say it's historical, see it's just kind of a, you know, an icon that's been out there for a long time. Well, it's not historical. It hadn't been there but a year, and uh, it's being challenged. Uh, it's created an open public forum, and that's the big challenge that they've got right now, because they recognize that if the legislature had placed that on there, then that would be the legislature endorsing religion. So what they did was they just gave this property right there outside the window, uh, so you can't even climb up and down the stairs uh, <laughs> in the state capitol without seeing it. I mean, it, you'd, you'd have it too close to your eyes, you'd break your neck. Uh, and that's the only way that you can figure out how to go up and down those stairs, that stairwell over there and not see this uh, Ten Commandment monument. And they gave this uh, historical commission uh, the the right to, to decide what it was that they're trying to do. That makes it an open public forum. And if one faith can put a monument up there, then all faiths can put a monument up there. And I think that there's going to be a precedent. I, I am not a lawyer on this. I think the ACLU lawyers uh, know this inside and out and have, have done this work. But it seems to me that there was a case previous to this on public property that was at the fairgrounds. It was before I was in Oklahoma, so I am not as that familiar with it as, as I would be with something that happened nationally with the Supreme Court. But I understand that they put a cross up out there, there was a challenge to it, and then they decided that that was an open forum, and then they put other uh, symbols and images up at the state fair so that it could be an open forum that was equal for everyone, which is what they're doing with the state capitol. I think that's what you're saying the Hindu and the Satanists are saying, well, it's free game now, let's see if we can put one up ourselves. If I were to put one up, 
You know, what I put up is the Bill of Rights. I'd like to see the First Amendment right there, plain as day for everybody to know, that uh, the government's not supposed to be endorsing any religion. Yeah, I'd like to see the Historical Preservation Commission deny that claim. I would I would like to put up just an array of different I want the the Satanists to have their whatever they're gonna have like a statue or or something like that. I want the, the Hindus to have their statue of Hanuman. I want the atheists to have that, that granite bench like in Florida. Yeah. And who knows what else what else we could put up there. I was thinking we should move that that monument to Azathoth. Tell me tell me about the granite bench in Florida. I'm not familiar with that. Well yeah, um I, I could uh, shoot you a link, but basically uh, the American atheists put up a, a granite bench in Florida that just has a bunch of like stuff that atheists that the people who put, selected the monument like they picked out some quotes they like. Yeah. It looks it looks kind of like a standard bench monument that you'd see in a cemetery, but with um uh, a, a giant block on one end with engraved sayings. Yeah. That would be something else that could be uh, dealt with if it's going to be an open public forum. It's just that you're going to have the state grounds so littered with monuments, it'll be like an obstacle course trying to figure out how to, to get around it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> If only our Constitution said not to do this, <laughs> we could have avoided the whole problem. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we just have to see how this works its way out. I, I think... I think the uh, people at the state legislature may have already decided that they're not going to prevail in this one because they're already talking about putting a chapel inside the Capitol building now. Oh. Yeah, they're doing uh, they're remodeling the Capitol, correct? And and they it's just in the initial plans, but just the fact that it's even being considered is, is rather embarrassing. And it's yeah. not going to be one of those chapels where like anybody can come in and like access it. I, don't, I mean, oh, that's what they said. You know, it'll be a chapel and anybody can go in there. Obviously, I will test that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you probably have to stand in line to find a, an opportunity to get into it. Uh, I know that uh, they found a way uh, to limit access to some of the places that uh, people used to go. Uh, when the uh, house changed hands up there. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, well, hopefully they'll have a sign-up sheet like they do for some of the other things, but well, we'll see. I mean, we've, we've reserved the cell steps before, so yeah, it's not that tricky. Well, Bruce, we really appreciate your time this evening. Uh, we've we've got to go. Our, our wives just showed up with a bunch of Italian food. And noise. And, and noisy children. And thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk with you guys. I enjoyed it. You've been great. Yeah, it was great. We hope to uh, to visit with you in person sometime uh, and do a follow-up, if that's all right. Sure. All right. right. Keep up the good fight. Will do. You too. The Oklahoma Atheists Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. 
Jared's Music and the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection. Available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheists.com.